I heard uh, a surf coach that I've, I've learned quite a bit from. He says, whenever you're nervous out, out there, make a fart noise. <laughs> and his, his clients are like, what? what are you talking about? He goes, make a fart noise. It's, 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 it's impossible to be tense if you're making a fart noise. And so I think that it's like, you could do that out in the, in the water, you know, you could do the, yeah. the same thing. And if yeah. I'm ever out there and you know, it's maybe it's kind of, kind of big and the wave's going to just break in front of you. Uh, like, so if I'm out with a friend and we just, I'm just like, Oh, look at this one. And like, just yeah, sort of yeah. being, being silly out there. And it's yeah. just like, Oh, yeah. okay. It's, it's fine. So you can take a lot of that stuff into the, into the open water swimming, which is why I think we're talking about surfing, not the fact that we just you know, probably <laughs> like, think about it every like day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. In today's podcast episode, we welcome back our favorite swimming expert, and that is Brenton Ford from Effortless Swimming. He's someone whose opinion and advice around swimming technique, analysis, and stroke improvement is one we hold in the highest regard. Uh, we always love having him on. I think this is the third or fourth episode. He's been on with us, and he always provides such great insight. That's because he has just such a wealth of experience coaching so many athletes individually with their stroke improvement, with their technique uh, to basically... You know, help athletes swim faster and swimming is one of those frustrating sports where the harder you try you don't necessarily swim faster and so that's why this technique side of things is so important dad as always we love these chats with brenton we love having on we love uh, his thoughts on swimming and, and the answers he gives yeah another great episode uh coming up and um his insights into open water swimming um and the relationship with uh technique and and your actual fitness training the the ratios between what time you should be spending on on both and uh and your confidence in in the open water and things you can do little tips uh he's got some great coaching ideas on on how to manage uh your anxiety and let's face it anybody's ever done a, an open water swim has going to have some anxiety whether it's one percent or a hundred percent and we're all in that in there somewhere and and he's yeah he's just got really a wealth of experience um um and he you know, you know some of the stuff that uh, he's been able to do for our particular trivalo athletes has been uh, we are really appreciative of because they're some of the people have improved out of sight uh, using his methods and uh and we want everybody out there to to get a little bit of a, a piece of uh, what brenton can offer and that's why we do this podcast because we want to help people improve um, their their ability on race day and Brenton certainly does this with his swimming uh, technical advice which is fantastic. So in today's episode as you just said we really focus on the open water and overcoming that fear techniques you can do to uh, overcome any anxiety you have as well as uh, how to approach the technical side of open water swimming versus how you're probably swimming in the pool uh, plus a lot more um, questions and and uh, conversation around just swim technique, form analysis and ways to improve yourself. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Here is the episode with Brenton. All right, Brenton, welcome back for the third or maybe fourth time to the podcast. It's great to have you back on. Thanks for having me. I love being on your podcast. And as we were chatting earlier, I, I, I love working with you guys and your athletes. I think you attract great people. So thanks for having me back on. Awesome. We are. We're going to get straight into it and we want to touch on this topic that uh, – brings a lot of fear to a lot of triathletes and that's a lot of people just in general, not just uh, exclusive tri- triathletes and that's swimming in the open water. So I want to st- ask you straight off the bat, um, how do you tackle the fear of open water swimming? 
I think it's like anything that you're afraid of, start small and just gradually work your way up. So I've had swimmers who have been afraid to get into the ocean or any body of, of open water. And what I've suggested to them is just go somewhere where you might be way steep and swim along the shore for 50 meters. Start small and work your way up. Rome wasn't built in a day. It, it takes time to get comfortable and it takes time to get the skills to, to feel comfortable and be able to race well. So I, th I think just start with whatever you're comfortable with and have a partner there to begin with as well, whether that's a coach or a, a friend, just there to, to support you. So, uh, yeah, you don't need to, uh, to take over the open water swimming world on the first day. Just, uh, just start small. And I think a good place to start as well is even just getting comfortable being around others in the pool. If you can do some pack swimming or you can even just swim side by side, just get used to having other people around you because it can be a bit confronting when you first experience that in the open water. It's a funny one. I saw some uh, Instagram videos of guys whacking the back of some swimmers in a pool to give them that feeling of being bumped and hit from side to side. Um, that's going to the extreme, obviously, but um, but I really take on board. Um, it is really helpful to swim with people, uh, not only for the safety side of it, but sometimes you don't have that opportunity to get some friends along. Um, and uh, when you can, actually try to use that uh, that that uh, group dynamics where you're getting a practice at, you know, trying to swim towards one boy and and seeing who can get there first and, and feeling like being bumped. Is that something you would, you would be kind of uh, recommending? Yeah, every time we lead into summer here, the group that I train with, we do, do open water races and some do triathlons. So most, normally uh, Friday mornings or Wednesday mornings, we'll do some pack swimming where there might be five to 10 of us in a lane and we'll start at the flags and then we'll all go off together and we'll be going fast and we might be three across in a in a lane and we're just getting used to swimming next to each other and occasionally people will come out maybe copying a whack to the head or the or the body we, we try and not hurt each other but sometimes that that happens but it's just getting used to being in that in that group and if you can get comfortable having other swimmers really really close to you and you can learn to adapt your technique to be able to swim when others are very close, then that helps a lot. And one adjustment that I see people making or good swimmers making is if they're really close, you may not be able to stretch out as much because you might have feet in front. So you might have to even go a little bit wider. Maybe you will have to come over a little bit straighter over the top of the water or a straighter arm recovery. So just making these adjustments to your technique it doesn't have to be, you don't have to swim perfectly when you've got others around. You just need to be able to keep your tempo and keep the speed and just to make these minor changes to your technique that um, just allow you to kind of stay on feet or stay in the group. Um, but it, it won't necessarily look pretty. So I think uh, it's a really good point to, to delve, dive into a bit further because guys are always asking me, should I be swimming with really great technique uh, in my own channel or should I be jumping on the feet of other people where I'm going to be compromising my technique? What, what are your thoughts around that? Well, you can save up to 30% of your energy by drafting. If you're sitting directly behind someone, it can save 30% of your, your energy if you do it really well. And in the triathlon, look, it can be hard to – do it that well because people are moving around and uh, they may not be staying on course, but it is so worthwhile sticking on someone's feet if they're the same or slightly quicker pace than you or you want to take a bit of a breather. It's, it's, it's worth doing. So if you, can, if you can do that, I'd say 
go for it. If you know the person in front of you, so occasionally if I'm racing open water, I'll know my other competitors around me and I'll, I'll know who it is in front and I'll know whether to trust them if they're going to swim straight or not. Uh, but if I'm not sure who they are, I'd still want to be sighting and looking at the, the boys and making sure I'm going straight. Um, but if I trust them, I'll usually just have my head down and just follow their feet and occasionally, maybe every 30 strokes or so, just look up and check where I'm where I'm going. But it's it's definitely worth sighting. If you can sight off the feet, that's what I'd normally be going for. You can you can sorry if you can sight if you can draft off the feet. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you can sight off the if you can draft yeah. off the feet, uh, that's ideal. You can also draft off the the hip, but I find it's a bit harder and you don't get as much pull. So I'd normally recommend going on the feet if you can. That uh, that bubble that bubble look you get under the water from the kick. That's a really good sign, isn't it? That the that that's you're in line with someone's feet. Talk about the bubbles. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So you'll see bubbles from from people's feet as you're as you're swimming behind them, and you don't have to look up in sight completely like we talked about. You can just look forwards a bit, check where their bubbles are, and just make sure you're sticking to those. And you'll also feel them on your on your hands as well. If you find you're whacking their their feet try not to. Uh, sometimes it can't be avoided, but don't try and slow them down or annoy them because they're going to slow down or just get really peeved off as a result. So try and avoid hitting their feet if you can and just feel for the bubbles with your hands. Look forwards a bit if you need to and and just follow those, those bubbles. And it goes against standard advice of look down and don't look forwards. But in open water swimming, some of these things you need to uh, adjust and uh, and like we talked about getting a little bit scrappier with your stroke and not trying to be perfect but just trying to be effective in the open water it's a really uh, opens a pandora's box of um of things that we want to talk about today in terms of open water swimming versus um how you're training in the pool um i wondered if if sighting from the feet was a new technique i hadn't heard of but i'm glad you, <laughs> you clarified <laughs> it um but yeah i want to i want to stay on this theme of uh kind of uh, open water swimming and, and tackling this this big task because uh, it is something that we see a lot in our own athletes and we just see a lot in the general triathlon world that um, there is that fear there and the fear of the unknown and there's there's so many things to start thinking about exactly what you started um, saying which is you know your form might change you might have to be scrappy there's all these things that are different to how you normally train in the water but just as an overall kind of mindset around the open water uh, you come from a swimming and surfing background so you're very comfortable out there I love taking it back to that um, almost basic principle that you started with of just go as small as necessary for you to start. So if that means swimming in knee deep or waist deep water to start with, and that's that's all you can do for 50 meters to be comfortable, that's a great um, starting point and then just gradually build from there. But um, what else do you think you could do to kind of uh, understand the mindset around the open water and um, just not seeing it as this big, vast, scary kind of ocean that can be really intimidating? Yeah, one of the things that I've had a few athletes feel uh, when they go to the open water is they look at it and go i if i'm 50 meters out to sea or in a, in a lake there's nothing i can't touch the bottom and so that means i'm just i could be in trouble i could sink straight down to the bottom no one's going to find me and that's going to be the end of me and it's a somewhat rational fear if yeah. you if you don't have that experience but uh, you you will you can float you will float out there and so I think just getting comfortable being out there and knowing that look worst case scenario especially if you've got a wetsuit on you can just sort of lie on your back and look up and you might do a bit of a kick and a bit of a skull but you'll be okay out there so I think the the fear a lot of people have is they'll be out there and they're just going to 
struggle and, and sink. So just I've had a few swimmers. I said in your race, and these are quite you know new to open water swimming. I said in your race, if you panic or you're you know not feeling comfortable, you can just roll over, go on your back, get your breath, and then just keep going. And a few of them have done that, and it's only taken them one or two races to be able to move on and go okay. I'm actually fine. Um, but sometimes you just need that safety net, especially in your first you know, race or two. Um, so I think that's, that's one fear that people have, but you will float out there, especially with a, with a wetsuit. Um, a few other things is just getting comfortable in your surroundings. So you don't need to swim out and you know, go to the pole and just, just keep swimming and doing, and doing 40 minutes nonstop. If you, like, let's say we're at Alwood uh, down in Melbourne and you want to swim out to the to the pole, swim out to the pole and then just duck down, go go to the ground, see the bottom, see how deep it is and just get comfortable being out there because I think a large part of being comfortable in, in the water is just knowing that when you're relaxed, you swim better, you float better and that you can be relaxed out there. And I see a similar thing with surfing, brought that up before where when people are out there and they're, they're new, they're really panicked and they're tense and they're, just trying to race and you know, rush everything. And then the best surfers out there, they're so cool, calm and collected that they just make it easy to get onto the waves and they're just very, very relaxed with everything that they, that they do. So we want to try and take that into the open water and take that into our swimming where we can just be, be relaxed out there. And that doesn't just happen straight away, but it's something that we can develop over time. So, Brenton, the key word there is natural fear. And I think that that's really important for people to understand is that uh, it's not a small thing going out into the open water and potentially swimming a K or two out to sea. You are uh, in a big, vast, um, open bit of ocean. Uh, it can be dark sometimes. If there's cloud cover overhead, it can make the water look very gloomy. So, I just want to kind of stay on this and, and talk about some potential more techniques to to tackle that uh, natural fear. And uh, I don't know. I, I personally, um, when I'm swimming or surfing, uh, take a bit of a, a stoic approach and just go, well, it's out of my control. If, <laughs> if there's anything happening out here, um, I can't really control it. So I just have to control what I control, just try and keep myself relaxed um, and go, go about it that way. Yeah. What other mindset kind of tricks or tips do you have for anyone trying to get through this, this very natural fear of the open water? Yeah, it's great, great questions. So we talked about just building up and getting more comfortable and just pushing yourself each time. A story that comes to mind is another surfing related story. I was out surfing the other day and we were surfing at this peak and there was about five or six of us and there was this one other guy to the outside. And when there's a small group of you, everyone's kind of taking it in turns. So that the person closest to the peak will take off and catch the wave and then the next person goes. So you're kind of just waiting in, in line at least when there's a small group anyway. And there was this one surfer who was a little bit more timid, a bit more scared and probably not just not, not confident enough to sit with the group and just work his way along the line. And he was missing out on all the waves because it was only breaking in this one, this one spot. But if he'd been confident enough to sit with the group and just you know, let everyone sort of take turns, he would have caught a heap of waves, a heap of really good waves. And I think, and the reason I tell that story is because I see a similar thing happen in the open water in triathlon where people are a bit too reserved, a little bit too timid. And so they just swim to the outside and they miss the feet. They miss the, the pack and the group. Now I get it if it's, your, if it's early days and you're, you're just starting out, but once you've got some experience under your belt, it is, you can just get so much, such an advantage out of being in the group and just having the confidence to say, you know what, I'm not going to be a victim today. 
I'm going to sit on someone's feet. I'm going to put myself amongst it. I might get knocked around a little bit, but that's just part of it. But no one is out there trying to swim over the top of you. You do get the odd idiot out there, but most people are pretty good about it. So if you have just got the confidence to just say, look, I'm going to be a part of it, then you're probably going to have a much better better race. So I think that's yeah, there's a similarity I saw between uh, surfing and then in some open water swims as well. So it just takes, uh, I think, that decision to be made sometimes. Self-seeding in races, what's, what's your opinion on where – where swimmers should start and and go through you know someone who's really skilled as a uh, you know should be at the pointy end someone who's a in intermediate and someone who's a beginner what's your advice for those three categories mm. I'd, I'd be curious to hear your uh, opinion on this as, as well i think um like i'd say most people that i've given advice to with it i'd say just seed yourself up a little bit from where you think you can can be uh, because we do find a lot of often a lot of the slower swimmers, like I'd say mid pack swimmers, will go at the very front and they're just like clear water. This is uh, I'm, you know, I'm got, I can have a good swim here. And look, they've got every right to do that. And you want to you want to be able to use that to your advantage, I guess. So I think a lot of people can can do pretty well by just seeding up a little bit from where they think they would would generally be. You do get a bit more more space. Um, if you do go further back, it just depends. If you're comfortable swimming past people, it's all right. But I do find I've had some swimmers who have just gone a little bit too far back and they've just been swimming through people and having to you know, just, just deal with too many people. So I think just try and push yourself up a little bit from, from where you're comfortable. I'd, I'd be curious to see what, what you guys like to recommend to your athletes. Yeah, that's a good throwback. Um, I definitely think you're better off being equal or being past than, than being the passer um, I just think that's more di- more disruptive. Um, if you're continually running into the back of people, then I just think it's it's breaking up your rhythm. Um, and if people are banging into you, going past you, I can cope with that because at least I'm not having to slow down. Um, if you run straight in the back of someone, you're going to have to look up and then deviate. Um, so I'm a big believer in, in pushing at your level or fractionally above so that you're not going to be that person who's in the way all the time, but, but definitely so that you're not getting slowed down by having to change your stroke and look up. That's my, what do you think, George? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with both those sentiments. I think that's, um, that's the most uh, logical and common sense way to do it. And, um, it's also uh, kind of handy. I, I would prefer to be, um, even if I'm being passed by better swimmers, uh, coming to T1, um, kind of being able to see where everyone is, whereas uh, I don't like you know going into T1 and um, I've started at the back and then there's just chaos because there's hundreds of people around and you can't really tell who's part of your race or who's not. Um, so I'm thinking about the rest of the race as well and from that perspective. Um, I, th- I think something to, to think about with um, racing as well is that everyone's in the same position. So everyone's experiencing the same conditions at the same time. And that actually is really comforting. We had a, we had a local race here over summer where just on one of the days, the conditions in the water were absolutely horrific. It was as choppy as you can get. And a lot of people were panicking, um, which is fair enough. You know, it was really, really rough conditions. Uh, but the good thing about a race is um, you're surrounded by a lot of people, um, which again is comforting because everyone's going through the same thing. There's a lot of lifeguards around. There's a lot of kayaks around. And so if you need to in a race, there's that option there just to, to kind of hang on. But do you remember that race, Dad? It was uh, one of the um, 2XU series where it was just Yeah, I'd be interested to hear Brenton's advice on this because I had a couple of our, our athletes say to me, I don't want to race today. And that's how high their anxiety was. And 
And I tried, you know, I was actually in the race, so I was trying to be the calming voice and I had some anxiety as well because there was fear and surf and there were points when when I was warming up where I was on the bottom of a trough of a wave and and then, you know, you're about to lift your right arm out of the water and then the wave hits you and it's basically crushing your arm without you being able to get a stroke in. So, um, so you know, these are the sort of things that I was tr- trying to say to them before we started was, you know, expect that you're going to be thrown around a little bit and just try to relax as much as you can and and, you know, that is the way you're going to, as Jordan said earlier, everybody's in the same position. So everybody's got the same anxiety. It's just not you alone. Um, what are your thoughts, Brenton? Yeah, the, a race that comes to mind, it was the Melbourne Ironman in, I'm going to get the year wrong, but I, I'd say it was like 2011 or 2012. I went down to watch a, a friend race. And this was the year that it was, they halved the swim course because it was just this 60 kilometer an hour wind and it was it was wild out there it looked like a proper surf beach down in in frankston and i was on the pier just going oh my god this is amazing seeing like a thousand people go in uh to these conditions where like as a as a swimmer i'd be going for right this is like it's gonna be a challenge it'll be fun but it's gonna be a challenge out there um and i remember i posted that video to to youtube the, the next day and um, like people from the race were saying just like i i did 200 meters and got out <laughs> like it was it was wild um, and there was a few people who were actually cutting the course and um, rightly so everyone else was pretty pissed off about that. But um, so you, you're going to deal with these these conditions uh, if you're doing enough races and a few things that uh, that you may need to do to make it a bit easier on yourself is some like I've had races where I've had to breathe every, every stroke a couple of times because you might miss your breath, you might cop some, cop some water. So it's like, okay, next stroke, I'm, I'm going to turn to the right and then then breathe and I might get it. So I might go like breathe left, right, left. So you're going to have to take a few more regular breaths if it's if it's hard to, to take air in. Um, uh, I also find it a bit easier, at least personally, and I find a few other swimmers have found it the same. You almost have like a, a more one-sided approach and it's almost like split tempo in a way. So one stroke is going to be a bit longer, the other one's going to be a bit sh- uh, faster. Uh, so it's more just like you know, left, right left, right, left, right, rather than a really even one. So that way you can kind of bash through the waves a little bit easier and it's not pretty and just sort of really using your upper body to kind of throw yourself forwards a bit more. Um, but there are some of the changes that you often have to make. And as you said, sometimes you're going to cop a wave and you won't even get your arm out of the water. You know, okay, well, let's try that again. Um, but uh, yeah, look, if you can just get that, if you can get that experience out there, it can't like, there's, there's swimmers out there, there's triathletes out there who look at that and go, this is going to be a lot of fun, you know. So you can have that that mindset. It's just a, a matter of getting used to it and I think taking a different perspective uh, on it because, look, worst case, if you're experienced enough, worst case, look, stop, cough up the water that you've taken in and get your breath and just go again. Um, no one is there saying, oh, that person stopped for five seconds. You know, what are, what are they doing? No one's going to see you and everyone's worried about themselves. So, uh, I think you can have a, it's the way you approach it, the way you think about it can really make a difference. One last anecdote I do want to touch on. It's another surfing example, but the best surfer in the world, John John Florence, I was watching a uh, video interview of him and they were filming him at his hometown, which is one of, if not the most dangerous surf break in the world at Pipeline. And uh, he was explaining his paddle out and it's a pretty tough paddle out. You've got to have a lot of experience to get out there. There's, you know, insane six, eight, ten plus foot waves dumping on your head with, you know, half a meter really shallow, shallow uh, water dumping onto reef break. It's, it's really extreme. 
and he was explaining to the camera in very casual terms. He said, well, I should paddle out there because that's the safest way out, out through the rip. Uh, but he said, but it's just a long paddle and I get really sick of it. So, I kind of just like to go through here sometimes and uh, you go out there and uh, he says, you just kind of cop a few waves on the head and then you kind of just um, suffer a little bit and then you get out a lot quicker though and you watch him and he paddles out to this monstrous wave just dumping on his head and it's one of those ones where he's getting dumped and he's under for a while and he's coming up and sucking up for breath. Then he goes another one and he does that for five minutes and he gets out the back and he's so relaxed about it and he's just kind of, his attitude is, yeah, it hurts for a bit. Um, I'm in a bad position and I get dumped on the head. I'm out of breath, but I get out there 20 minutes quicker than the long paddle out I'm supposed to do. And that really shifted my attitude about, about the ocean because it's like, if you can just relax and know that, oh, I'm getting absolutely dumped here and I'm getting pounded and it's not good, but I will get up and I will get some air. And granted, he's had a lot of experience. He grew up in these waves, but I think a lot of us can take that because most of the time we're surfing in worst case scenario, some choppy water. You know, we're not out at a really dangerous wave like pipeline. So that anecdote really helps me a lot when when you're panicking a little bit, you go, well, if John John Florence can can kind of get pounded on the head like that and choose to take that option, then I should be okay. Yeah, I, I love that. And I heard uh, a surf coach that I've, I've learned quite a bit from. He says, whenever you're nervous out, out there, make a fart noise. And his, his clients are like, what? what are you talking about? He goes, make a fart noise. Now, it's, 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 it's impossible to be tense if you're making a fart noise. And so I think that it's like, you could do that out in the, in the water, you know, you could do the, the same thing. And if I'm ever out there and, you know, it's maybe it's kind of, kind of big and a wave's going to just break in front of you. Uh, like, so if I'm out with a friend and we just, I'm just like, oh, look at this one. And like, just sort of being, being silly out there. And it's just like, oh, okay, it's, it's fine. So you can take a lot of that stuff into the into the open water swimming, which is why I think we're talking about surfing, not the fact that we just you know, probably think about it every day. <laughs> yeah. On that point though, it's, it, it, you know, the next level of that is even breaking it down further. And I'm telling a lot of our athletes uh, who have that high anxiety and especially in Ironman, it's a long, it's a long swim, you know, it's nearly 4K um, and even half Ironman is almost 2K. Um, yeah, it's okay to swim 400 meter blocks and do breaststroke for five seconds. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned this at the start of the podcast. Like if you need to just roll into your back, float, get your breath and, and go back. Like it's um, it's kind of like in your half Ironman or your, sorry, your half marathon or marathon in a in an Ironman, do the walk, people are doing the walk run. It's like the same thing. If you need to do that in your swim, go for it. And you, your shoulders will get a bit of a rest or if you roll over and do some backstroke as well. Feel free to feel free to do it, especially in the early days. If you've only been swimming for six months or twelve months, um, yeah, you might not have the confidence or you feel like you have the strength or the fitness to just race the whole way. And it's probably going to be the case because it takes a while to to learn this stuff. There's no quick fixes with with anything. It all takes time to do it. So I think it's a it's a good approach just to not put that pressure on yourself to have to race for three point eight eight k's, especially for your your first. Ironman and I've done one one Ironman and I I pushed the swim hard and too hard I paid for that on the bike and the run um but yeah I I could have been smarter about it and gone a little bit easier and I should have in hindsight and so no matter sort of how much experience you've got in a particular sport or whatever it is you're going to learn things along the way so uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself to uh, get it all right, especially if you haven't. I think it's a really good point you've just made, and and I would put you in uh, in a triathlon in the elite category as a swimmer, um, compared to your biking and running, and you're trying to make 
you're trying to make you're trying to make the most out of your uh, strength, which is your swimming. And so, or you know, your obvious logical thought process is, well, I'm my swimming is my strength, so I'm going to go for it. But it's not a swimming race; it's a triathlon, and and one of the legs of the race is swimming. And and even if you're a really competent swimmer, you still need to treat the actual racing side of it with respect. It's that's so true. Yeah, so true. And I, for me, there was there was ego involved in wanting to be the fastest swimmer there and stuff. There was partly that too. Um, but you, it, it's just so true. And I, in my lead up to the Ironman, I was swimming four to five times a week, which was way too much. I could have got away with two and I could have done another three, two or three bike sessions. And that would have probably, I reckon, made me 20, 30 minutes faster in the bike had I put more time into it um, rather than maybe a minute or two faster in the swim. So uh, again, hindsight's, hindsight's great. And uh, look, I think at the time I probably knew it, but I was like, I don't care. The swim's what I enjoy and that's what I'll do. So, uh, but if I were to do it again, that's what I would change. And that's why it's helpful to have someone like, you know, like you guys who've got that experience. You can have an outside view and, um, yeah, and, and just not, not make those, those mistakes. I could see dad shaking his head just then when you said four or five swings is going on. No, that's far too much. It's way too much, but it's what I enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's part, that's a whole part of the uh, processing journey as well. And, and I know dad's response to you would be, okay, well, what do you want to get out of this? Is it what you want to enjoy or do you want to get the, the best result? Cause that's often what the conversation is with, with the athlete. And it would have been an interesting discussion between you two, I think, cause your answer might've been, no, I want to just win the swim. But I love it now, Brent. I love now, Brent, that you're saying I would have been 20 minutes quicker had I just spent, you know, two more sessions a week for 10 weeks instead of being one minute quicker oh yeah so so much so like it was just i was yeah first aside from some of the pros i was the first on the bike and then it was just this steady stream of people cycling past me and i had um had bevan mckinnon um who i i knew because it was over in taupo and he, he made some comment as he was coming like up up towards me and i was like who is who is that and it was bevan who was the first one there and i was like oh man this is gonna be a long ride <laughs> so uh yeah, good, uh, good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that's a good uh, segue into kind of moving from the mindset of open water to the to the technique and the the skill set of open water. Because you mentioned again at the start of the podcast that um, open water swimming can be scrappy and it can't. It might not be pretty. It's definitely not as smooth sailing as you'll get in the pool. So, um, what kind of technique differences can we expect and um, try and train for when we're thinking about the open water in terms of siding, in terms of form? Um, what are the what are the key differences you, we need to be aware of? Yeah, good good question. If the if where you're swimming in the open water, if it's like a, a lake and it's really still, your technique's pretty much the same. It doesn't really have to change compared to the pool. Uh, but if if you do get some chop, so some of the things that that I try and do, and I, I try and get my athletes to do, uh, I think the recovery tends to change a bit when you get a wetsuit on. There's some restriction through the shoulders, so we want to come over sometimes a bit higher, maybe a little bit wider sometimes a bit faster over the top so it's a bit more of a carefree recovery and getting the hand just get it in the water because if you're trying to come close to the body and have this really nice high elbow recovery with this perfect entry look you're you're wasting time and you're going to get thrown around so just get that hand and arm just get it over Um, so quite often you'll see uh, you'll see like the hand will come a bit higher higher than the elbow I should say over the water when you're swimming open water um so that's often a change there uh, and sometimes you're gonna have to start the catch a little bit sooner as well so rather than gliding out the front having these long strokes sometimes you're gonna have to just pretty quickly get into that catch just to keep that 
propulsion going and not have any dead spots in the stroke because otherwise you'll just again be throwing around thrown around by the the waves in the chop um your kick will sometimes change too so depending on conditions again you're and you've got a wetsuit on your kick often isn't doing too much um i i like to kick i'd have a fairly continuous kick but if it's um if i have do have a wetsuit on and i'm swimming at 70 to sort of 80 percent the kick's not doing much at all but when i pick it up it does does come up a little bit more um and then like you're obviously going to sit higher with a wetsuit as well so that way you can kind of get your stroke rate up a, a bit more you don't have to worry as much about head position either uh, you've got that for you and then we just really want to get used to those skills so those open water skills of siding of of drafting and um and just being in a pack and so sometimes your recovery needs to be a little bit straighter so you're not whacking people and we talked about some of these things at the start as well but just getting those skills down and you can do that in the in the pool for the most part if you don't have access to to open water which i know a lot of athletes don't until until race day so uh it, I, I find i think it's like the the fifth stroke in a way those sort of open water skills and that change in stroke and when i was when i did my first open water race as a 13 year old uh, I was against my a friend of mine. So we're in this team triathlon. We both did the swim. And my friend, I was faster than him in the pool. I beat him in every race. And he got me by like three minutes in this open water swim over like a K and a half. And I was I was almost insulted. I'm like, what, what is this thing about? I don't like open water swimming. It's uh I, he shouldn't be beating me. And and someone mentioned someone mentioned siding and drafting. And as a 13-year-old, I had no idea what what that was. And I was just like, okay, that's that's great. Uh and then obviously as I started to do a bit more when I was 19, 20, figure out what that stuff is, but I had no idea what I was what I was doing. So even if you are a strong swimmer, if you haven't got those skills, uh, you, you're missing out on a lot. So if you're a, not a, a natural swimmer or you've only just started swimming, if you can have good skills and you can swim straight, you can have an, an advantage in a way over those pool swimmers who haven't got those those skills. So uh, it's important to to develop them and just get used to being in the open water. The black line on the pool keeps us straight, and and out in the ocean, it doesn't exist. And and how often should you be looking for that that buoy up the, up the road sort of thing? Is it something you should be doing every fifth stroke or tenth stroke, or what what what's your go to? Yeah, I think it. Uh, I'd normally change depending on the. Uh, how choppy it is basically and if i think i'm keeping a good course if it's quite choppy and it's hard to tell i'll be every five to seven to nine strokes like pretty regularly Uh, and then if i feel like i'm taking a good course or i've got a pretty good sense of where people are in front of me it might be 20 strokes it it could be it could be 20 strokes or more Um, but typically i'm I'm trying to cite every yeah five to nine nine strokes if there's no one to follow and there's a bit of bit of chop. So um, because if you think about, you know, I've looked at people's race things on Strava and it's like if you're swimming 10% extra in a in an Ironman, well, that's like, that's another 3.8, uh, sorry, 380 meters. So that's that could be another almost eight minutes on your time for a, for a lot of people. So if you can swim straight, it is going to save you a lot of a lot of time. So I think that takes almost a you know, top priority just swim swim straight and sight sight enough and if you're doing that the sight and breathe method uh and we've got a, a youtube video on that if you look up sight and breathe effortless swimming where you sight and then turn your head to the side you can sight without really losing any speed without changing your rhythm we do a test in in the lead up to summer where uh, uh with the squad that i train with we we'll do a set of eight or ten 100s 
every second 100 that we do, I'll get them to cite, uh, I think three or four times in each 50 meter lap. And we're going fast for all these hundreds. They're on two minutes. And the best swimmers will lose maybe half a second to a second when they're introducing that sighting. So if you can get to that point where there's almost no time difference when you're sighting regularly, then you're doing it really well. And that's a good test to, to do. If you do a repeat set of hundreds, every even one, sight three to four times each 50 and just see how much how much speed you lose. And if it's more than than a couple of seconds, then you might just want to work on that sighting technique. Should you introduce more kick when you actually lift, lift your head up, Brenton, do you think, um, so that you keep some uh, speed going? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I think – so with uh, yeah, with that, I find you a few things that can sort of help you keep that speed. It's like lift lift the chest, use your hand out in front to help lift as well. So when it's reaching forwards, going into the catch, you can just use that to help lift you up. And you will yeah, you will sort of bring in the kick a bit more just to help you keep going a bit as well. Um, I haven't uh, God, it makes me think like go. Okay, I need to think about uh, what happens when I do that do that sight. But yeah, the kick does come in that little bit more just to be able to to keep you going and and to help lift you up. Shows how natural it is to you if you're doing it so unconsciously that you have to really try and reverse engineer and break down your own your own stroke. So um, I really like that kind of concept of testing it in the pool because yeah, you don't really want to be, just be practicing one the one type of stroke in the pool and then never practice it and try and get it in the ocean and do it would you recommend kind of practicing almost that that scrappier form where you um where you are bring your hand out a little bit wider and and hand higher than the elbow uh, which you wouldn't recommend as for a normal swimmer um would you recommend people actually train like that in the pool and and kind of swim with the form that they plan to swim with in the open water um or maybe do half half or just introduce it every so often and also test that against you know their normal times yeah, I think I think it can be good to to do at least a little bit of. And there's a, a girl that I work with in the a lady that I work with in the states, and she's been doing some faster fifties as part of her training. So in the states, they're leading up to race season now. And one thing that we've been trying to work on with her is just getting her stroke rate up a bit. So she was typically around like low fifties for her, her stroke rate. We're trying to get her up to the low low sixties when she's racing, and by doing that we've been doing some fast some faster 50s with a bit of rest in between and even some fast hundreds just getting her up to that stroke rate and that's a good chance to be able to work on that scrappier type of technique as well when you're kind of rating up it's not going to be as pretty might be a bit more effort initially because you're in the pool and you don't have the wetsuit on but uh, I think that's a good way to to do it and if you yeah and I think it can be good to even just wear the wetsuit in the pool few weeks leading up to it if you haven't had that chance to wear it because otherwise it just it feels pretty restrictive and i know people who feel uncomfortable with it you know tied on their chest and they feel like they can't breathe just because they've either bought a new wetsuit and they haven't worn it until race day don't do that make sure you you practice it Um, i've made that mistake with with goggles and i put a new pair of goggles on and they didn't actually seal and so for like two and a half k I could, I could, I couldn't, I could only see out of one eye, and that wasn't, that wasn't comfortable. I came out, and my, I was like bright red. So, um, just yeah, practice, uh, practice with the equipment that you're going to use in the lead up to the the race. So, um, is that something that you you like your athletes to do? Is to do some uh, pool swimming with the with the wetsuit on if they can't get to the open water? 
if uh, if there's you know some people are, are training all through winter to go to Kona, for example, there's just no way anybody in the southern hemisphere can swim in the open water, um, you know, unless you live in you know north of the Queensland border sort of thing. Um, so so yeah, the only choice is to to throw the wetsuit on now and then to to to, to get the feel of what it's going to be like. I just want to go further on that that uh, the stroke cadence, um, lifting the stroke rate from. From a from a fifty to a sixty to a possibly seventy, where what do you do in the stroke? Do you do you under the water swim swim shorter with the reach uh, and then pull through faster? Um, what, break can you break down for the listeners where you how do you get that cadence to go faster? Mm. So it it gets a little bit faster all around, but where it where it does go faster overall, the recovery can be a bit quicker. So that's got no real impact on your your hold for the water. Uh, because if you try and just go faster by pulling harder and faster, that's where you'll you'll slip. So we want to try and hold the water as, as, as best as possible still. So I think a bit faster in the recovery and enter assertively. So you're, you're speeding it up there and then you'll typically start the catch a bit sooner as well. So you won't take as long to reach forwards out in front. You're going to start that a bit earlier and you'll generally put a little bit more, um, when you pick up the pace, you'll put a little bit more pressure on the water a little bit earlier as well. So um, that's where that that yeah increase in rating can can come in. And the best swimmers in the world, they can almost hold the same stroke count and increase the rate without much change in their actual stroke, stroke count. Now, that's not going to happen for... 95% of people, that's what the best swimmers in the world can do. So we don't want to go from taking, say, 40 strokes in a 50-meter 50, 50 lap up to 60 strokes. We don't want to just go go crazy with it. But it will it will certainly step up and increase as you do increase the, uh, the rating. So expect that to happen, but we don't want it to be night and day between, like, your 70% effort and then to your, like, 80 to 85% sort of race effort. Uh, so, yeah, so, so a bit faster in the recovery and just – starting to catch a little bit sooner but it, it, there's two things that i find w- can help with that one is like, there's a fit there's a certain fitness to it to be able to hold that rating and you're not going to be doing a whole session at that kind of rating so start small maybe do 25s 50s just repeat it getting used to it uh, but there's a certain aspect of of fitness to that um and then the other one is just build it up gradually don't go i mean don't even go from like 50 to 65 or anything like that just if you step it up one or two strokes per you know per week and you maybe use a tempo trainer or use some form goggles um you can you can do it fairly comfortably if you just gradually work it up because it doesn't feel like too much and uh, a set that i heard from uh, a guy that was coaching lionel sanders for a while in the swim it's i can't remember it exactly but basically he he gets a tempo trainer and he has them do four four fifties on well on the minute or the minute 30 at 90 strokes per minute which is super quick mm-hmm. and it's very hard to hold it and it's and he says don't even worry about holding the water you just you're just going to turn the arms over really quick mm-hmm. so 450s on the minute at 90 and then i think they do four 100s uh with about 20 or 30 seconds rest and they step it down to 70 or 75 strokes a minute so it's like go way above where it's like this mm-hmm. is ridiculously fast and then when you go down to 70 or 75 it's like oh it's not too bad i can actually hold that so mm-hmm. i think kind of going 
way above and below. It's it's a good thing in 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 many aspects of the stroke as well. It's just that exaggeration because then it just doesn't uh, doesn't makes that seventy feel pretty comfortable. That's a great example. Do you have any uh, specific uh, open water drills that you know, people could think about um, to to actually try in the pool? Mm. Uh, so if you if you're with a group, we've we've talked about. Uh, doing some some pack swimming if you can. So try and go three across or, or two across and get nice and cozy with each other. Get on each other's feet. Get um, you know just get get comfortable with the, with the group. And you'll learn you'll learn a lot about yourself and, and what you're thinking when when that happens because that can be a bit unnerving for people. But get, get comfortable being close to others. Uh, we talked about the siding as well, which is is pretty easy to to practice there. If not many races are a are uh, like a, like a, a dead start like out in the water so it's not really something you have to practice too too often but uh if i think to like ironman taupo that was an, an in-water start so just practicing staying stationary so you're you're horizontal in the water you're sculling your feet are kicking lightly but you're staying still and then get starting from there so if, if that if your race is going to be like that it can be good just to to practice that a little bit as well um they're probably the the main ones that we'd we'd look to practice. So last time we touched on uh, kind of the concept of what's the optimal total volume of swimming, uh, because we do find the discussion interesting around you know Olympic athletes, potentially athletes training for a hundred meters or a two hundred meter event, doing crazy volume of swimming, and it's just, just it's this it's this culture of swimming which is really interesting. Whereas you would never see a one hundred or two hundred meter sprinter in athletics doing. Um, the same sort of mileage, you know, 60, 80, 100 kilometer running weeks as a middle distance runner. Um, for triathletes, uh, it's a little bit different because most of the events are endurance events. So you do need that volume. And we just had uh, Emma Jeffcoat on the podcast recently. Uh, she's swimming is her strength. So she obviously loves it. Uh, plus, she's coming back from rehab. So she's doing a lot of swimming. But, you know, she's swimming 20 to 25K a week, you know, five sessions, potentially four to 5K each. So really high volume. So, you know, what what do you think is the the optimal volume for a triathlete and we do want to break this down next but um yeah if we're thinking about a half ironman or ironman triathlete what do you think is the, the optimal volume to be trying to, to get into um yeah really get them comfortable in the water yeah uh it depends how many times they're they're training and and their level of experience but let's say they got a, a little bit of experience under their their belt um like if you can get in if you can get in three times a week i think that that's a lot more than two so, you know, three times a week would kind of be the minimum. I'd, yeah, ideally want to have someone in, in the water. And depending on where they're at and how long it takes them and, and all of that, like trying to get, if you can get like aim for about 3K a session, uh, that's kind of a, a good number for, I think, for most people as a, as a general rule. So if you can get in that like, you know, 8 to 10K a week, that's, that's pretty reasonable and that'll, that'll take you a long way. Uh, but it just depends on the the individual, um, and just making sure you're doing the the right type of training as well, um, and not um, not overdoing it. Because I do see some swimmers; it's just all their training is is one speed, and it's good for that you know aerobic development. That's that's great, but just doing everything at the one one speed, you just don't develop your gears to be able to go faster, to be able to back off. Um, you're not really developing your skills, and I see it. Um, probably a bit with swimmers who are training in a in a squad sometimes they're just comfortable sitting third or fourth in the lane and they're just on feet and you don't really have to change your pace too much because you can just go along with the with the group so uh i I see that happening a bit with 
squad with squad swimmers. So uh, yeah, just doing some sets where you are changing your pace and actually making sure you're on top of that as well. Just being aware of you know, whether it's on your Garmin or your form goggles, or you're looking at the clock, just actually knowing what pace you're doing, because if you're going to these training sessions, you're like, oh, yeah, I did, I did 3k today, but I couldn't tell you what, what pace I did at any point And I, I couldn't tell you where I changed the effort. It, yeah. You just like, you, you're spending the time, but you're not really doing qual- enough quality quality work there so um yeah i'd say depending on the person eight to 10k is pretty uh, pretty pretty good for most most people that's a really great answer and uh look a lot of people with their busy lifestyle and and family and work you know they're, they're going to have to choose um how many bike sessions how many run sessions and how many swim sessions and obviously we talked earlier about your experience and and the more time you spend on the, the sessions that are probably going to give you the most value in terms of improving your time is where probably most coaches like we do, we would we would ask our athletes to swim at least twice a week, which for some of them, they're not even getting up to, to four or five K a week. And and if they can do a third session, we're really encouraging that, but but also almost not at the expense of um, of maybe another another bike or run session. So it's a really hard one for for the athlete to to hear advice and say, "Oh, I should be doing this." And then we get a running expert on, and they say, "Oh, no, you should spend more time running." And um, so I, I get that, and and it's really good that you can actually say that you know you'll do okay with two swims, but you'll do much better with three. Um, and, and that's really good advice for a triathlete, I think. One of the things I wanted to, to dig deep on a little bit further was if you're doing those two or three sessions, which is, you know, in swimming in the swimming world, that's not a lot of swimming. Um, so I think the listeners need to understand that. That's, that's the bare minimum, really, um, because we're talking to triathletes here and – and there will be some open water swimmers who would get some value out of, out of this podcast as well. But, but we're really concentrating on what value we can find uh, for the average swimmer. And so the question is, in that three, three sessions, what, what are your thoughts on the time spent swimming fast in, that, in those sessions uh, as compared to the endurance work? So, you know, we've got a polarized system where it's 20% of your time should be spent at high intensity and 80% should be spent you know, almost at endurance. What are your thoughts from a swimming point of view? Yeah. Uh, so on your on your first point, it's it's so individual and especially someone working full time and they might have kids, it's like, and you haven't got a whole lot of time outside of that um, to be able to squeeze in your training. So whatever your coach is recommending to get the most out of it, like go with go with that. Uh, because look, I, look, I swim three times a week and I've got, I'm not riding, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of running, but I've got, uh, you know, and, and even then it's like, sometimes I only get two, two sessions in and I haven't got all those other sports to train for. So just fit whatever you, you can in. Um, and in terms of, yeah, what the effort, the volume, that sort of thing should, should be. I like, if I was doing three sessions a week, I, th- I think two, like two sessions at, Kind of just like you know, just under thresholds, really, really good. So more like it's a it's aerobic, but that sort of top end aerobic for a decent part of it can be can be really good. Um, and that way you're swimming, like if you're using CSS pace or thinking like yeah, you know, like sort of threshold pace, you're swimming like just kind of just just below it. Uh, and you might obviously do a little bit of that where it's a, a bit slower than that as well. But like those two sort of base sessions are really good for working on that swim swim fitness because it's. It is a different sort of fitness to the run and the ride. Obviously, look aerobically, yeah, that's that's the same. But your shoulders, that like, it takes time to build up the the strength and and develop the the muscles and even like develop the the blood flow to get used to going to those areas because 
when you look at the Tour de France cyclists, it's like they got massive legs, and it's because of all those years and all that, you know, all that development of the legs, and like you've got these very efficient pathways uh, in terms of like where the, where the blood goes. It's the same thing with swimming, where you've got to work that for your for your upper body, and that comes with with time. And I think doing just two sort of good base sessions there is um, is really important. And then for a third one, I think it's good to do some some faster work, whether it's 25s or 50s or even hundreds. One of the sessions I do with my group, and they're more they're more open water swimmers um, and a couple of triathletes, but we do on a Friday, uh, call it a heart rate session, but repeat hundreds on two minutes where we're going at what we call best average, which is just as fast as you can hold across the set. So in total, we might do anywhere from 10 to 20 when we're sort of peak, um, you know, peak season, 10 to 20, 100s on two minutes. There's often some recovery in between, but um, like we're going, we're going hard for those and uh, it's, it, it's really hard work, but it's just really good, I think, for developing the speed and um, yeah, it's like it's, and that's a session that you take a while to recover from as well but that's kind of that 20 percent you know more high intensity and um, a little bit of that can can really go a long way for a lot of swimmers or triathletes it's it sounds like a you know you know that um i like the title of it like like a heart rate session you know it's a really value session for swimmers but again it's it's where do you weigh it into a week because as you're saying it's um, it's something that takes a while to recover from. And if you're trying to swim and then you've got a hard bike session or a hard run session the day before or the day after, you've really got to factor that into, okay, how's this going to affect that? And that's what the nature of triathlon, you know, it's you're trying to do three sports all at once and that's what the race is. So you do have to get used to it. When you, we're thinking about this, um, yeah, heart rate style training or um, you'd almost equate what you're saying to VO2 work. Uh, again, I'm always fascinated in how swimming has just always been different to running and cycling. But um, a lot of these sessions and um, a lot of the, the way that generally structured is is you know hundreds off off the, the minute 30 or something or, or the minute 50 or the two minutes and for a lot of swimmers that means they end up getting 10 or 15 seconds rest uh, in between their their hundreds which is um like the goal is you know that continuous swimming with really short break but we would never get um, an athlete to yeah do a two minute effort or a one minute effort on the bike or running and only have 10 or 15 seconds rest you know you know vo2 work we're really trying to match that that rest to at least a one-to-one ratio sometimes more sometimes you do a minute on and two minutes off when you're really trying to get that super high intensity work in so what are your thoughts on that can that be applied to swimming and can you i don't know it's pretty rare but can you do some sessions where you you go you know 100 meters hard and then really have one or two minutes rest to fully recover and, and do 10 repeats like that yeah, you, a lot of the a lot of the competitive swimmers will do will do stuff like that, especially the sprinters, like the fifty, the hundred meter swimmers, even the two hundred meter swimmers will will do that. And I think most most average person they're not comfortable waiting at the wall for for two minutes. They're going, I'm just wasting my time here. You know, what am I what am I doing? Um, and and I, I know the feeling. You know, I want to go to the pool and have a really good good workout and and get the distance in. But there is a there's a lot of value to those sorts of sessions where you are going almost as hard as you can and then just taking the the rest and i know a lot of uh, a lot of competitive swimmers at the elite end they'll do whether it's like 50s or 100s but like a, a max effort 50 and they might do 10 of those on like three minutes or, or four minutes like you're only getting what 500 meters done in half an hour but after five or six of those you'll find that you're, you're feeling really heavy and you're, it's a good workout. So that, uh, that stuff can, I, th- I think, work really well because if you get 
like oh, there's not many people who actually give themselves enough rest to be able to go full tilt for a couple of 50s or even 25s like we just we're not taking enough rest but um that sort of top end speed you when you're swimming that fast you you kind of get the feel for what your body needs to do and what you need to do to be efficient in the water because anything that's slowing you down that's going to be multiplied you're going to really feel it when you're going at that that top end speed so i think it helps you just learn what you need to do with your body to be able to uh, you know, be efficient in the water and then you know that sort of stuff as well it can be actually good for your your aerobic development as as well those those sorts of sessions so uh, i think it's good to especially for people just to try see how you respond to it and uh and you have to do 500 meters in half an hour and uh, you can still have a, a good workout rather than maybe you know one and a half or 2k so take it as a win um i was just going to say on on that uh type of training the with the intensity um as as a runner and a bike rider and a swimmer, we're we're trying to get the best value across the whole uh, sport of triathlon. So, so our philosophy is that we try to get as much high intensity on the bike because it's less impacting. Um, when we try to get our runners to run really hard, short, high intensity efforts, the risk factor is massive for injury. Um, and and I'm actually really trying to get a lot of our swimmers to, to do a lot of VO2 swimming in their training because because I want their cardiovascular system to be put under pressure. Um, and probably not from a swimming point of view, but from a training point of view, doesn't the body doesn't care whether it's doing a hard, high-intensity session, whether you're breathing hard because you're swimming hard or because you've run up a flight of stairs or because you're on the bike. Um, it, it just knows that it's worked hard. And, and if you can do that and not have the impact on your legs – what are your thoughts on 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 that that philosophy that I'm really trying to push? Um, and we find that our runners absolutely can run well um, as long as their body's been able to absorb a load over a period of time where they're not actually running too fast, but they're training really hard on the bike and they're really huffing and puffing in the in the water from these VO2 type sets. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's it's great because, like you mentioned, it it just doesn't have that impact on your on your body, and provided your shoulders are strong and you sort of fine with fine you're fine technically where you're not it doesn't cause you pain you can go all out and get your heart rate you know pretty close to to max uh in in 50 meters if you're doing those 50 repeats or, or 100 100 repeats uh it's and it's something that you can just do forever so i think it's a it's a great it's a great approach and i look back at the squad that i um, that I've been sort of swimming with and, and setting some sessions over the last couple of years. And we've started to do that uh, a little bit on the Friday and then Wednesdays we do, we do sprints often with a, you know, with a reasonable amount of rest in between. And when we've done those sessions where we're happy taking a bit more rest and having, you know, it's just not, it's not a huge session, but we're having some very high intensity efforts of 25s or, or 50s, uh, like the, the whole squad just swum really well when it comes to to racing so I, I think it's a it's a really good thing to um to do but it just takes a, a different uh, mindset i think and just knowing like having the the tr- athlete trust you you know what you're doing and trust that they're still going to get a, a benefit from it even though they're resting at the wall for maybe as long as they are swimming so it's uh it's about that education and is that something that you found with your it's that education process, just getting them comfortable not swimming for half an hour straight. I would, I would say, yeah, it's it's almost like a um, 
a game of convincing where you, you and this is and rightly so you know an athlete needs to believe that what they're doing is the best thing for them but it's it's really trying to convince an athlete of why they should be doing what they're doing and, and where the benefit is and that's where um for us a lot of what we're pushing is this um swim stroke kind of analysis especially with you and um, really spending time on that and not being afraid to spend time on that even though it might be taking away from the potential volume of training and that's that's where this game is isn't it it's kind of this balance of well you need to be doing enough endurance so that you're fit enough in the water but you don't want to just be swimming for um you know five eight to ten k a week with really poor technique and practicing poor technique because that's just not serving you so you also want to be making sure you're spending the time doing some stroke analysis but but we also want some vo2 work in there but we we don't want the vo2 work if it's if it's with really poor technique again so it's it's kind of this balance of getting all these these things right isn't it yeah it's yeah it's this this seesaw that we've kind of got to got to balance there and and that's the that's the feedback that i get from so many uh, triathletes about the swim compared to the bike and run as you know it's just you can put the work in on the bike and run you can get those results but the swim is so frustrating for them because it's just they're not getting fast if they're necessarily, even if they're doing the same type of training, you know, they're still putting the work in because their technique can, can hold them back. But if you just focus on technique and then you're not doing any of the aerobic work or VO2 max work, you're going to be limited with that as well. So you you need both of them. And I think they're like, they're kind of equally as important as, as the other in, uh, in swimming. That's great because that leads to the next question and can you can you put a rough percentage on in your opinion for a triathlete uh, who's only able to swim two maybe three times a week what ratio would you put on a training session between percentage of time spent practicing your your drills and your swim technique as compared to the actual fitness part of the of the session yeah good good question it's uh, so if you're uh, provide, let's say you're not in you're not in season, you haven't got a race coming up in the next next three months. Uh, for some triathletes, I've I've recommended, let's say they they've just finished their their season, they're ready to you know, just sort of just keep fit over off season. Go for um, like it's okay to spend two months or three months where you're focused primarily on your technique, but that wouldn't mean doing eighty percent of your session as as drills. I think just just dabble some some drills into your your training into your warm up, and then maybe you just do some mostly you know, slower swimming where you're just focused on your technique. Um, but when it comes to getting closer to the to the season, I'm a big proponent, and I, I say this all the time when I'm running clinics: is just do two to four hundred meters of some drills or drill swim work in your warm up, and just touch on those things that you know you need to work on, and use some specific drills, and then just keep those things top of, top of mind when you're swimming. Uh, because you, you don't need a lot. It's about the frequency. It's not about the volume of of drills. So if we want to change technique, it's it's muscle memory you've developed over time, and you don't change your muscle memory by going and doing three hours straight of drills. You change it just over time, over several weeks, and by doing yeah a, a little bit at a at a time there. So uh, I, I think just a, a small section in the in the warm up tends to work pretty well. And I mean I've seen that with a lot of your athletes, I know in your planning structure of workouts, you put like Brenton drills, I think, and you know, just whichever ones I've maybe prescribed from a, from a clinic. And, um, and that can work, work really well, especially if those drills are relevant to, to the person. And I, I think uh, people who haven't, um, let's say they haven't done an analysis or they uh, are maybe um, uh, they've been a swimmer as a kid and they've just been told to do, do drills 
but there's no real purpose behind it. They don't know why they're doing it. Like there's no, I can see why people get frustrated with, with drills, but um, at, as you know, from uh, like having, having done the clinic and being coaches yourself, like, you know, that when, when you've got a purpose behind a drill and it's like, okay, we're using this drill to work on your rotation and your head position. So if you have them in this correct position and you're doing this drill, that can translate really nicely into your swim. So when you've got that, that purpose behind it, it makes it so much easier to, to do the drills. Uh, whereas if it's just go and do sidekick, what for? And they don't know what they're working on. It's like, well, it's, it's not going to help with anything. So I think there needs to be a lot of education around the purpose of, of drills and, and why they're doing it to get that buy-in and get that belief that it's actually going to make a difference. It's such a brilliant answer and I think that's why we're, uh, we love your work so much and if anyone hasn't checked out Brendan's work, this is a great time to, um, to plug him and say that, yeah, it's, it's what makes your, your drills and your videos online so good is that you give those reasons behind and it gives triathletes a real purpose as to, to why they should improve. Um, I'm going to start to wrap it up here and I do want to kind of finish on um, a bit of a tough question to answer and we've, we've kind of asked you this before, but can you take us through potentially three of the most common uh, swim stroke uh, improvements um, in terms of what people could work on and everyone's different and everyone needs to work on different things but just generally what are the three most common things someone could just work on straight away and start and start uh, monitoring themselves to, to get improvement yeah good good question I, I think back to the clinics I ran uh, yesterday and it's, it's pretty common among all the clinics that I've run there's some really common things that that tend to come up and as uh, as common as this is it's like head position and and how you hold your body so many people think they've got the right head position, but they don't. And it's it's that proprioception where we, we think we're doing the right thing. But when you actually look at it on the camera, the camera doesn't doesn't lie. So most people tend to look too far forwards. So we need to make sure we're looking zero to 45 degrees. So maybe one to two meters in front. Uh, and just make sure you're keeping your neck long so you're not getting all these wrinkles in the back of your neck. And we don't want your chin to come too far forwards. So there's either either that or when people go to breathe, they tend to lift, like look forwards and then turn their head and it puts them in this funny position when they're breathing. So that head position and, and breathing positions are a really common one. And when, when I think of developing the stroke, it's like building a house. You've got to start with the foundation, then you get the frame and the roof. And I haven't built a house before, but that's as far as I can get to. Um, but with some, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, you're not going to start with the, with the roof. And it's the same in swimming. You start with the body and the, and the head, you get that right. That's eighty percent of your your body right there. So if you can just hold that correctly, then that's a great place to to start. Second thing, uh, with a lot of triathletes, I'd say rotation. Most most triathletes are over rotating. They're really twisting their body. They're going to ninety degrees side to side. Um, the alternative of that is people who are just swimming too flat, which is quite common as well. So just trying to dial in the rotation where you're going thirty to forty degrees side to side. I like the thought of rocking side to side rather than rolling. And, and that way, you know, you can just, you can get a lot of power from that rotation if you do it correctly. But if you go too far and most people go too far when they take a breath, uh, then you're going to probably splay your legs. You won't get much of a catch and you're going to be pushing down on the water. So right rotation is probably the second one. Uh, and then the third one, uh, I'd say probably, um, you know, just probably talking about the, the catch in the pool. Uh, we want to make the right shapes, and uh, we've, I know we talked about that a bit on the last the last one. But some things that um, often help there is in the catch. So the first movement where you finish reaching forwards out the front, and you're moving your fingers down, use that as the setup phase. You don't need to 
power yourself forwards in the very beginning. So just in this in the catch, use that as a setup, and then you can accelerate through and put a bit more power into it. Uh, it's like if a if a car's just standing still, and then they put the foot down, they're going to spin the wheels. And it's the same thing when you're swimming. If you go for broke straight away, you're going to slip, and you're not going to have that traction. So just gradually build into it. And it's so much easier in terms of effort to be able to just gradually build into it. I had a swimmer yesterday at a clinic who was uh, he was he was going from a, a zero to a ten straight away, and he was gassed out after twenty five meters. And then when he went from a like a three to a seven out of ten, he uh, his heart rate just came right down, and he was so much more more relaxed. So uh, you just don't need to to force things too much in swimming. You've got to stay relaxed to to go fast. And even the elite sprinters, like the 50-meter sprinters, listen to someone like Caleb Dressel, who in the last couple of years has been the best sprinter in the world. He just talks about staying as relaxed as you can. And he talks about watching videos of cheaters when they're running and he's looking at their paws and their and, and their arms and their body and they're so relaxed as they do it. So he try and he tries to bring that into his his swimming to stay relaxed. So I think that's a really good way to, to think about it. It's absolutely a brilliant answer. Dad, is there any uh, last question or topic you want to touch on before we finish? Swimming is one of those unique sports that is so relatable to the skill. And as you mentioned before, Brenton, where as a cyclist, you can train really hard and get the improvements regardless of technique. As a runner, if you run a lot, you can actually improve. As a swimmer, you can swim to your heart's content and with poor technique, you'll stay the same. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we've loved about working with you is um, enabling our athletes who are really struggling in the water. And I don't think there's anybody that I've ever coached who's absolutely happy with their swim their swim technique. And so we're always striving to get the, the best swim technique we can. And that's the beauty of what you're doing. And I don't I don't, I don't hide away from the fact that I really want to promote your your business to everybody in the world because it's the one thing that will will help you become a better swimmer. And and we've done your clinics and we send all our athletes to your clinics all over Australia, all over the world. And the, the things that we know that you do well is you videotape our athletes, you point out three things that they can work on and you give them an analysis, a video analysis of what what the things they're doing wrong. They can see that clearly. As you said before, there's a purpose behind it then. And you give them the appropriate swim drill to do. Because most swimmers will go, they know they've got a bad technique. They don't know what's wrong with it. And they don't know what drills to do. And this is almost like the complete answer. And for those of you out there who are listening to this podcast and, and are unsure about where to go next, this is where you should be. And as you will explain to us, you can do this just by sending a video to your to your business uh, and you don't have to go to a clinic. You can actually do it online. Just run us through that process. Yeah, thanks, Jared. I appreciate that that a lot. And it's, it's I love working with your athletes. They come open-minded and, and just willing to – take on you know, what I'm uh, what I'm talking about at the clinic so I, I appreciate um, the kind words and and for the athletes that you send to the to the clinics and for the online video analysis and uh, so yeah the, the two sort of ways you can um, I guess we could, I can work with with people is we've got our clinics around Australia in most of the capital cities and uh, and then I've got the online stroke analysis as well so if you've got the ability to take your own footage if you have a GoPro that's that's great you can get underwater footage or even if it's just with a phone, some phones are waterproof, but I, I don't trust some of them to go underwater. Um, but if you can get that footage from the front and side views, then I can see pretty well what's what's going on in the stroke. And um, I've had some of your athletes send videos through uh, online, either yeah through the through the Skillist app, 
uh, that we that we use. And then I'll have a look at that video. I'll analyze it and just break it down and take people through what's going on, what they're doing well. And then more importantly, what would be two to three things that's actually going to move the needle with their speed and their efficiency. And I'll give them particular drills to do to work on each of those things. And more often than not, I'll ask them to spend uh, two, three, four weeks on one thing and then move on to the to the next thing because I, I don't know about you, but I can't think about three things at, uh, at once. One's, one's hard enough. So just take it step by step. And um, yeah, that's that's how I, I work with a, with a lot of people. And I when I first started coaching, because I started coaching online a long time ago, probably, I don't know, 10, 10 years. No, I'd say maybe eight years ago, I was doing online analysis. And I thought, I don't know if this is going to work because like surely it can only be done face-to-face and in person. But there's actually a benefit to doing it online because I'll, I'll provide the analysis. I'll say, this is what I want you to do. And then there's no pressure of a coach looking over them or anything like that. They can just do it in their own time. They're relaxed and it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And then often they'll you know, send another video and it's, uh, it, it actually works really well. I was quite surprised by that when I first started doing it because I was, was just kind of rolling the dice, but uh, it can work really well. Just like remote coaching, you know, it's uh, I think everyone's, everyone's used to it now and you can get even better results in many cases uh, with it. It's so much more flexible to people's lifestyles as well. You know, you don't have to turn up to a certain squad session. That's a big. That's a big limiter with squad training. Is that well, if you can't make that session, you can't join in. Whereas, you know, people can, um, and especially we we look at training peaks as an example. You can actually analyze the session better online than you can in person because you, it's such a waste of time for the coach and athlete for the coach to stand next to you watching a session. You know, you when when you can just look at all the data and uh, post the session and and get way more out of it so that's a great way to finish thanks again for coming on Uh, we always love these episodes with you uh and i did want to ask for the people not in australia you are doing some clinics around the world is that correct yeah doing uh camps overseas so we've got our our maldives camps in september um which uh, we i think we've got had a spot open up but they're they're sort of fully booked but i intend to run those uh going forwards because they're they're unreal and then um We'll, we'll likely have a Thailand camp as well in October at Tanya Pura there. Um, so I haven't released that yet, but that should be coming up. And then um, perhaps even a Galapagos trip in um, May next year. So um, all chances to do underwater filming and analysis. But um, yeah, if you're overseas, um, this Thailand camp in October, um, we haven't opened it up yet. So that I think we'll have a 15 to 20 athletes there and I'll be there doing heaps of underwater filming and analysis. So if you can get to that, I'd, uh, I'd love to have you there because it's um, we've run those camps for a couple of years and it's you can get so much uh, out of it, just that two sessions a day, heaps of uh, feedback and um, and it's just nice being in the warmth as I sit here in the cold Melbourne winter. So follow so follow Brenton on all Effortless Swimming social media channels, whether it's Instagram or YouTube and uh, I think sign up to your mail list. That's where you probably announce it as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks so uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, always a pleasure to be on your your podcast, and uh, I love I love the the dynamic of um, of you both on the podcast. And as I said, great love working with you guys and your athletes. So thank you. Appreciate it, Brenton. Thanks very much for coming on. Cheers. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.